Welcome to Today on Broadway for Tuesday, February 27th, 2018. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. Uh, James, we have a couple real quick news things I want to talk about uh, before we get into the regular show, but I did want to let everybody know at the end of this episode, we're going to have a quick interview with former Kinky Boots and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory star Kyler, uh, Kyle Taylor Parker. Um, he does a weekly, or uh, I'm sorry, a monthly show over at the Green Room 42 called The Soul Session. We had a nice little chat with him earlier this evening, uh, so that'll be at the end of the episode, so I want to let everyone know to keep a listen for that it's a really cool thing and he's got some really cool stuff going on in addition to those shows on broadway he just got cast as we talked about yesterday in jesus christ superstar live in concert so we do try to pry some details out of him uh, on that uh, unsuccessfully but uh before we get it yeah before we get into the show itself james yesterday we learned that actor james colby passed away on february 23rd colby was most recently seen on broadway in lynn nottage's sweat Colby was a regular off-Broadway as well, including shows at the Public Theater, Roundabout, MTC, Playwrights Horizons, New York Theater Workshop, Primary Stages, MCC, and more. He is survived by his wife, Alyssa Bresnahan, who appeared in Roundabout's Napoli, Brooklyn last year. They have a seven-year-old daughter named Shannon. James Colby was 56 years old. Our condolences obviously go out to his friends and family. Godspeed, Mr. Colby. Um, yesterday, we had some other news. It was announced that on February 22nd, Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS President Paul Libin had retired after 24 years leading the organization. To honor him, BCEFA Board of Trustees announced a $100,000 grant to the Actors Fund to create the Paul Libin Center, which will be the New York home for Looking Ahead, a program that helps professional young performers build community and make a healthy, successful transition to adulthood. Libin also recently retired as Executive Vice President president of Jude Jamson, ending his more than six-decade career in the theater industry. The BCEFA board asked Libin to become the organization's first president emeritus, and he agreed. So uh, very cool there. We talked about, I think, I believe we talked about when he uh, retired from Jude Jamson, obviously someone who's been very important in the Broadway community for many, many years. So I hope that whatever he decides to do in retirement, whether it's play golf, pinochle, watch a bunch of Judge Judy, um, I hope he enjoys it. Uh, you know, who knew that Broadway Cares was like the mafia? You know, every time he gets out, they suck him back in. <laughs> hey, Paulie, yeah. uh, you know, we're thinking maybe you should be emeritus. You yeah. Know? <laughs> maybe you can go see some plays or something. <laughs> yeah. Take take the gun, leave the cannoli. No, no strike that, reverse it. That's leave right. the gun, take the cannoli. There you go. <laughs> but on a more serious note, uh, what a run. What a time. I mean, yep. Both Jude Jamson and Broadway Cares, just a huge impact on the Broadway community, and uh, bravo to Mr. Libet. All right, first up in the news, uh, Tatiana Maslany. Yeah, pretty right good. Right pretty close. Pretty close, yeah. Ta- Tatiana Maslany to lead the New York premiere of Tracy Letts' play Off-Broadway. Yeah, yesterday, Second Stage announced that the unbelievable Emmy-winning star of BBC America's Orphan Black, Tatiana Meslani, will star in the New York premiere of Tracy Letts' Mary Page Marlowe, coming up later this year over the summer. The show will be directed by Lila Neugebauer, because of course it is. It's a show in New York. She directs all of them now. Um, it will begin previews on June 19th, with an official opening on July 12th. The press notes describe the show thusly, quote, If you looked back on 11 moments from your life, would you recognize yourself? 
or would you see a stranger? Mary Page Marlowe is a seemingly ordinary accountant from Ohio, go Bucks, who is who has experienced pain and joy, success and failure. In this sweeping but intimate play, Tracy Letts gives us a haunting portrait of a complex woman, demonstrating how a series of forgotten moments can add up to one memorable life. Now, James, reading that description, there is literally no one else on this planet that I would rather see play a woman at 11 different moments in her life, potentially unrecognizable from one to the other than Tat. On Orphan Black, she played more than two dozen different clones, including seven regular ones. And I kid you not, they were so different that when... One of the clones wasn't on a specific episode. I would subconsciously feel bad for the actress playing that clone, completely forgetting that it was the same actress. That's how good Tatiana Maslany is. She is phenomenal. Now, keep in mind, though, she was originally announced to have been starring off-Broadway opposite Thomas Sadowski, more on him later, in Neil LeBute, more on him later, off-Broadway play The Way We Get By a couple seasons ago, but she had to drop out due to scheduling issues. She was replaced with Amanda Seyfried, and then she and Sadowski eventually eloped and got married, and now they have a kid. So I guess all's well that ends well, but I'm just hoping that Tat doesn't have to drop out of this one. Um, and I hope that second stage decides to bring it uh, to the Hayes theater eventually. So I can have a chance to see it because Tatiana Maslany is one of the best actresses in the world that not enough people know about. Also, James, if this somehow leads to a project with Tatiana Maslany starring opposite Tracy, lets his wife, Carrie Coon, another one of my favorite unappreciated uh, actresses. I, I think I would officially be able to die at that point. If it was a play, I told uh, backstage's Casey Mink on Twitter earlier or on yesterday, I said that if it was a play, I would officially move to New York, not pay rent and just get tickets to see it every time. Then I could officially die because uh, between Tat and Carrie, those are two of my all time favorites. And if you listen to some like it pop, that is not a surprise to you at all. All right. Uh, next up in the news, Geffen cancels Neil Butte's Fat Pig. Yeah, I told you we'd get back to this guy. Um, on the heels of MCC canceling its world premiere of Labute's Reasons to be Pretty Happy, the Geffen Playhouse in Southern California announced that they too had canceled a production of the playwright's work, this time Fat Pig. And in fact, they would be replacing it with a world premiere from actress and writer, writer Amanda Peet called Our Very Own Carlin McCullough. The dates for that production have not yet been finalized, but Tyne Raffaelli will direct. In Peet's play, A Single Mother discovers that her 10-year-old daughter is a tennis phenom. When a young, dedicated coach takes Carlin, the daughter, under his wing, her meteoric rise takes shape, and this threesome struggles over what is best when building up a champion. Now, James, I believe that you and Julie, whom I will have words with next time we're on the show together after her little comment last week, but anyway, um, I believe you guys discussed the mystery around the cancellation of reasons to be pretty happy, and we still don't have an official word, either from MCC or from Geffen, about why uh, Labute's shows are being removed from the slates that had been previously announced. So we're effectively just left to our own devices and our own imagination. But either way, um, if it is the reasons that we assume that it is, I'm glad that Geffen has decided to replace Fat Pig with a show written and directed by women, two different women, and in which two of the three characters are female as well. So um, again, we don't have anything other than maybe conjecture and rumors as to why these shows are being canceled. But um, if it is for the reasons that we assume, I'm glad they made this move and decided to have Amanda Pete's show world premiere in its place. 
Yeah, so um, we should be seeing uh, Labute's new play, Reasons to be Cancelled. Coming up soon. <laughs> Reasons. Reasons to be pretty unhappy. Yeah, exactly. And uh, as far as I can tell, he hasn't made any public statement about it, has he? Not that I've seen, no. All right. Uh, so tell us about last week's Broadway grosses. All right, James. Uh, the grosses moved up overall about $715,000, but mainly on the strength of two new shows joining the boards, Angels in America and Frozen. One of those new shows seemingly did very well in their limited first week of previews, and the other, I'm not exactly sure about. Uh, the one that clearly did well was Frozen, bringing in $926,840 in just four performances. It was at 98% of its gross potential, and the, that total would translate to a little over $1.85 million had it been a full week. Now, obviously, the abbreviated week of previews isn't necessarily an exact indicator of a show's economic trajectory. But right now, I would much rather be Disney Theatrical, the producers of Frozen, than maybe Sonya Friedman Productions, who's producing Angels in America, as that show did just over $322,000 in three performances. Now, just on that info, alone, you'd say, oh, that's almost uh, $110,000 a performance. That's not unhealthy for a straight show on Broadway. But when you throw in one other data point, you start to see a little bit of a clearer picture. And that data point is the fact that it pulled in only 52.1% of its potential gross. That's something that makes you start to worry. Now, since there were only three performances and it is a two-part play, I, d- I don't know if how they're accounting figures that in. Maybe that had something to do with it. I, I don't know. But this is not a cheap show to run, even as a straight play. It's not a cheap show, especially with some pretty big stars and some, you know, quite a bit of theatricality. It will need to start doing a healthier percentage if the producers don't want to lose their proverbial shirts over it. Another show that's in previews that's also in a bit of murky water is Escape to Margaritaville. Despite doing nearly $752,000 in just seven performances, it is actually at 49.2% of its gross potential. Now, it's only had a total of nine performances, and on average, it would be pulling in uh, right around a million dollars a week if, uh, if they were doing eight shows. But as we've discussed before, the weekly operating costs for a show are often tied to that gross potential percentage. So when you see a show that's down at or below 50 percent, even during previews, you have to get a little bit worried for them. Now, well, go, go ahead. Uh, have they wrapped in the alcohol sales? <laughs> That is not included in these numbers. No, uh, because that might keep them afloat, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Yes, I I do. Trust me. I I probably, as much as anybody, understand how alcohol keeps things Margaritaville related afloat. Um, But let me ask you, let's take the off script here for a second. Do does that go to the production as well or does that go to the house? How does that all figure in? Is it shared? Do you know how merchandise and alcohol and snacks figure into the bottom line for a show? Wow. I had never thought about that. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm sure. Merch no, is I mean, merchandise is merchandise is a yeah. show. But the bar in the back, I, I think that's the theater. I'm, I, you know, I really don't know. I don't either. I mean, someone listening probably knows. Get the hotline knows. to Ken Davenport to uh, yeah. to get us the answer quickly. But uh, yeah, maybe I mean, we'll report back tomorrow on that. I'll see. I'll make a few phone calls. Okay, cool. So, all right. So let's get back into this. One show that definitely does not have to worry about its gross potential is Hamilton, as it was again above three million dollars, coming in at three million eighty-eight thousand and. 
two bucks. The boss was off last week. So Lion King came in in second place at one point nine eight million. Then there was Wicked at one point seven four four. Then Dear Evan Hansen just slightly behind at one point seven four and Aladdin at one point four six million. They were joined above seven figures by Come From Away, The Book of Mormon, Waitress, The Phantom of the Opera and Hello Dolly, keeping its head above that little uh, line of demarcation. SpongeBob SquarePants saw a $46,000 increase to get to about $847,000. It's still below 60% of its gross potential, but that is actually the best percentage uh, that it's had since the second week of the year when there were still some holiday tourists straggling about. The lowest musical on the boards last week was Once on This Island, which declined over $43,000 from the previous week and had receipts of $461,259. Now, that being said, Laura Benanti went to the show over the weekend and loved it and posted pictures of herself crying and then tweeted about it again today. So they've got that going for them, at least. Um, James, we expected a dip for most shows following the President's Day holiday weekend. So this seems pretty standard i did this isn't surprising in any in any you know course that there's a lot of shows in red um but most of these shows save for maybe one or two of the ones that are debuting in the spring most of them are gonna ride out the spring and the summer i'd assume um so i wouldn't worry too much about anything at this point for me what's most interesting is about how these shows that are new hit the ground running and if they're coming out in a sprint or coming out with a bit of a stutter and it sure seems like frozen is on its way to uh, being the big monster box office hit that we expected it to be. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned about Laura Benanti going to once in the silent, uh, Neil Patrick Harris also went in there. It's a big social media push oh, really? to, to promote the stars going to once on this Island. So, uh, I think that that'll 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 work some, uh, and like you said, I I think anybody who's locked and loaded right now is gonna ride it out through June unless something really tragic happens yeah. for their their productions and everybody uh, keep your hands your hands and arms inside the inside the ride <laughs> and uh, we'll come out safe on the other side. Hopefully. All right, what's happened in show and casting news? All right, James, this is sticking with the whole Disney theatrical theme here. This is a, a quite a bit of a shocking uh, announcement here as original Belle from Beauty and the Beast. Susan Egan will reprise the iconic bookworm role out in California at the five star theatricals, formerly uh, Cabrillo Music Theater. Okay. Um, she's going to do just a one-week production of Beauty and the Beast. It'll open on Friday, July 20th, and will run through Sunday, July 29th, uh, and that's out in Thousand Oaks, California. Um, still to this day, um, Susan Egan is is – I mean, synonymous with that role, even though dozens, if not hundreds of women have played that part, even on Broadway and tour. And she still looks the exact same. Um, so I would love it if maybe get, you know, assuming that um, Jerry Springer doesn't extend over the summer into July, get Terry out there to do the beast again, just get the whole company. Um, I, I think that would be fantastic. And if it's only for a week run, if you're out in Southern California, highly, highly recommend that one. And then also speaking of 
Southern California yesterday, the Playhouse or the Pasadena Playhouse announced that they would be premiering the uh, world premiere of a new Hitchcock style drama called Belleville from Pulitzer Prize finalist and OB winner Amy Herzog. That will be running from uh, April 18th through Sunday, May 13th, and it stars two of stage and screens favorites uh drama desk nominee anna camp and tony nominee thomas sadowski who i mentioned earlier um this show is uh going to be a, a los angeles premiere actually not a world premiere um but it should be really fun the play concerns young americans zach and abby they appear to be a perfect couple with the ex or the perfect expatriate life in paris a funky bohemian apartment an up-and-coming belleville a stable marriage and zach's noble mission at dr without borders to fight pediatric AIDS. But when Abby finds Zach at home one afternoon when he's supposed to be at work, their marriage begins to show cracks as an ordinary night unravels into a modern-day thriller. Herzog's new play is a Hitchcock-style drama and a captivating evening of intrigue and suspense. James, I feel like we we often talk about Anna Camp and Thomas Sadowski as people who um, we love seeing on screen and stage. And if this one is as good as I hope it is, especially with a playwright like Herzog, and anytime you throw in anything even reminiscent of Hitchcock, I am all on board. So maybe this will be something that ends up uh, coming to New York with these two stars. It's been a, it's been a minute since Sadowski's uh, been on Broadway. Obviously, Anna Camp was on earlier this season in uh, the time in the ways but uh it sounds like a fun one yes that does sound like a good uh out of town maybe try out type of dip your toe in the yeah. water see what, what it looks like and uh yeah. and get everybody uh all lined up that's uh <laughs> quite a quite a cast for uh yeah. a small little production yeah all right so uh let's talk with uh kyle taylor parker here with us this evening we have a very special guest Kyle Taylor Parker's uh, joining us by telephone. Broadway fans know Kyle from Kinky Boots, where he uh, did the Broadway company as well as the national tour and the uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory most recently. But uh, we want to talk about The Soul Session, which is a show that he's doing uh, coming up uh, Sunday, March 11th at 9.30 at the Green Room 42. So, Kyle, thanks for joining us on Broadway Radio. We appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having me. Tell us about the Soul Session. Uh, what what what, could, what are we uh, in for when we come up to see you on the 11th? Uh, the Soul Session is a big Broadway party. I love Broadway musicals, and um, <laughs> I feel and I think in jazz and soul. So I take Broadway songs and I infuse them with soul, R&B, jazz. Um, it's kind of like a big rock concert for Broadway lovers, essentially. Excellent. And so uh, what is the the naming of it, the soul session have to do is that are you t taking a different view on the Broadway music or are you rearranging it in different ways or what is it? Absolutely. I'm taking a very different view on Broadway music. Um, uh, some of the arrangements sound like Nina Simone, Eric Badu, oh. James Brown. My favorite song, we do a rendition of I feel pretty a la James <laughs> Brown. <laughs> <laughs> that, that actually is so perfect i can't believe he didn't do it himself <laughs> me too i had to check i was like did a little richard do it i checked and checked but no we're the only ones to do it so far uh, um and it's really a celebration of myself i grew up in the theater um and so to get to kind of leave my mark on it is something i've always wanted to do and i'm getting to do it with my show at the green room Okay, so you grew up in the theater, but you also grew up in East Africa, West Africa, Paris, Zurich, and Wisconsin. 
That is true. Wisconsin. Wisconsin. And Wisconsin, because you got to get the cheese. Yeah. One of these exactly. things is not like the other. <laughs> That's where I ended up. My mom's originally from Wisconsin, and she uh, works in public health. So I okay. kind of I grew up in all of those places, but I would take summer camp. I'd spend the summers in D.C. or Michigan, going to Interlochen Arts Camp. Um, oh, eventually, okay. theater camps in New York. So, so how does living in all of those different places? How does that influence who you are as an artist, and then maybe specifically your interests and choices in music? Um, I think the way it influences me is. I grew up with this big imagination of like knowing how big the world really is. And I always, my big goal is to represent as many types of people as I can. So I guess that really plays out in the soul session, right? Like taking all these different types of music, um, including reggae and Afro funk and uh, taking songs like here's the ladies who lunch, you know, and making it Mm -hmm. that. So you grew up with a big imagination. Some might say a pure imagination. Some might say, yeah. Oh, man. Sorry, Kyle. I have to apologize. James is known for his dad jokes. Dad jokes. He has two kids. He likes the dad jokes. Uh, so I apologize. I apologize about that. But um, sticking with the whole Charlie and the Chocolate Factory thing and kind of looking at that uh, between that and, and Kinky Boots, those are shows that uh, one with Charlie and Chocolate Factory is a show that I think a lot of people anticipated that kids would love. And I think one of the great and most endearing things about the run that Kinky Boots has had uh, both on Broadway and also on tour, and you've done both, is how much it has become this show that draws a lot of families to it. I think just on paper, some people might have been skeptical about that. But between those two shows, what is it about them that does speak to fans of all ages and then groups of people that want to bring kids along to them? The idea that trusting in yourself and believing in yourself is the key to a wide, wide, wide future. I think that plays in both shows, you know. And it's funny, you know, two factories, two Charlies. One is an adult and one is a kid, but they both are on the same mission of really finding themselves. Oh, that's that's good. That's really good. So uh, you are multilingual. You also speak French. Do you incorporate any foreign language into, uh, into your work these days? Not yet, but I want to. So uh, the Soul Session will be a monthly show, uh-huh. and we'll be adding two new songs every month so that, you know, oh, cool. the idea is you keep coming back to see what's going to happen next. I definitely have a little French number in my back pocket. <laughs> <laughs> like a show tune, like a show tune French number? Because that would, uh, that would point us in the right direction. <laughs> well, it'll be a cross between La Vion Rose and something show tune Okay. okay. <laughs> so tuny. Okay. So yesterday and today on Broadway, we talked about the uh, Jesus Christ Superstar Live uh, that you have been cast in it. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm really excited about that. I start rehearsal this week. Tell us what, you know, how, how did that come about? Did you do a normal audition for it or was it like the kind of uh, – just, uh, uh, you know, you've worked with somebody who's worked with somebody that said, hey, we should uh, get in here? Uh, no, I auditioned for it. It's cast by the same people who cast Kinky Boots, so I okay. guess uh, that they, helps, they sort of like at you. the same time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, the best singers on Broadway were up for this job. I remember at the callback, I was thinking, I don't know how they're going to make this decision. So I'm honored to 
get to play. Oh, that's, well, that's... OK, so we have to ask because and I'm sure you're going to tell us uh, you don't know or you can't say, but we have to ask anyway. It is our journalistic responsibility. What what is the construct of this going to be? I mean, we know so little about how this is going to be other than it's going to be at Marcy Armory. It's going to be a concert, but we know there's going to be a whole ensemble of dancers. Um, what is what is this going to look like? Is it going to look like those Phantom and Les Mis anniversary concerts where people just step in front of a mic? Or is it going to be more like the Jesus Christ Superstar Arena Tour? Can you give us anything? Because I've been dying for months to know how this is going to be put together. I honestly don't know. I start with okay. on Friday. Okay. okay. They, could, they didn't give you anything ahead of time. Okay, fair. All, no. right. All right. All right. Well, I guess we'll just have to watch on April 1st. Yeah. Well, that's cool because uh, April 1st you'll be doing this, and then uh, you, the Soul Session is a monthly thing. So right after April 1st you'll have another one coming back. Maybe you'll grab the whole Superstar cast and tell them to show up at the Green Room 42 on 10th Avenue. That would be fabulous. I mean, the great thing about the show is you never know who's going to be joining. I'm really mm-hmm. big in asking my friends to join, and if I see someone in the audience, I pull them up onto the stage. So that's another fun part. Oh, that's awesome. Cool. Well, Kyler, uh, Kyle, thank you so much for joining us on Broadway Radio talking about the Soul Session, which is coming up Sunday, March 11th at the Green Room 42. We'll have links to your show in the show notes. And uh, come on back and talk with us after Superstar. Oh, I would love to. All right, Matt, why don't you get us out of here? All right, thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio, and you can find me on Twitter at Matt and subscribe to Something Got Pop on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for starting off some of your Tuesday with us, and uh, Matt and I will be back and talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>